This morning, our text will be taken from the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. In connection with that, let's read from Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 is an account of Paul's first entrance into Thessalonica. The context of Acts chapter 17 is previously Paul had been to Philippi. And while he was in Philippi, he was uh, mobbed there. He was put into prison and later on he was released from Philippi. And after leaving Philippi, then he came to what we uh, read in chapter 17. So let's read together Acts chapter 17, the first nine verses. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of Jews. Then Paul, as, was his, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from Scriptures explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and to rise again from the dead, saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. And a great multitude of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews, who were not persuaded, became envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out of the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And if we were to keep reading on through the book of Acts, and even in this chapter, we'll find out that Paul continued eventually going to Berea, another town, and these rebels in Thessalonica followed him to Berea and then continued the uproar over there. So wherever Paul went, he was meeting with strife, especially from those who were contradictory to his gospel message. Let's now turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the letter that Paul writes to this church, we're going to read the second letter, and we're, uh, the second chapter, sorry. We're going to read together the first 12 verses. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the first 12 verses. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our... God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For, ex for our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were all well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brethren, that our labor and toil, for our laboring day and night, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach the gospel, sorry, we preach to you the gospel of God. 
You are witnesses, and God also, of how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know, we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you may walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So far from God's word this morning. I'm sure many of us know the words of, uh, I'm sure many of us have heard quotes from Charles Spurgeon before, and I'd like to begin this sermon also with a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He was an English preacher for many years ago, and he made a sermon that was in 1873, and this was a, a quote from his sermon. Every Christian, he says, every Christian here in front of him in the sermon, in his audience, is either a missionary or an imposter. Think about that, he says. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. And an imposter is a fraud. An imposter is, is, is a fake. Every Christian, he says, either missionary or you're fake. He continues, you either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a tongue that is totally silent about him, he says. You are either doing good, he says, or you are not good yourself. Those are strong words and maybe words that we would expect to hear from someone like Charles Spurgeon. The point that Charles Spurgeon was trying to make in this passage, in this quote that I've just read to you, is, is this, that every Christian needs to be what he called a missionary. What today what we might think of as a disciple. Every Christian is called to be a disciple. Every Christian is called to make a disciple, to open your mouth and spread the name of Jesus Christ. And so this morning I'd like to focus on what, it is, what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean for you individuals at church here in Owen Sound to be a disciple? And disciple is not a word that we use very often. I'm sure it's not a word that you probably would have used even in this past week. And I remember growing up when we had to use a definition for the word disciple, we'd often use the word student. A disciple is, is, is a student. But I think it's worthwhile this morning to think about what that actually means. You see, I think disciple is more than what a student is. In the Hebrew, the, the two words are different. A student is different than a disciple. You see, a student wants to know what the master knows. But a disciple wants to live the way the master lives. A student is primarily engaged in the mind. Whereas disciples, on the other hand, also, also want to engage your heart. Students are often taught skills. Whereas the idea of discipleship says it's the idea of gaining virtue, of, of how to live better. Student, we often think of students, we're, we're gaining knowledge for ourselves. But the idea of discipleship is the idea of sharing. Sharing that, that what you've learned with others. And often I think we even see that when our kids go to school, don't we? The kids are wanting to learn, wanting to know what the teacher knows. 
And yet, in a sense, the students are not imitating the teacher. They're not dressing like the teacher. They're not following the teacher around and gaining virtues of how the teacher interacts in other parts of their lives. So to be a disciple is to be a follower, to be be an imitator of Jesus Christ. And the question then is, who or what, who are these disciples? I think often when we think of our duty to disciple somebody else then often we think of discipling new believers into the church or people that are coming to faith, that we disciple them. But this morning I want to expand our definition of of who a disciple is. You see, I think when we look at Scripture, we'll find that the discipleship um, definition is far greater than just new members. We find in in uh, in, in God's Word, we find that children are required to be discipled by their parents. That we have... That we have older members discipling younger members. We have older women in Titus discipling younger women. We see Paul discipling Timothy. We see father encouraged to disciple their own children. And, and Christians in the congregation encouraged to disciple them amongst one another. So when I think, when I'm speaking of a discipleship and when we think of it together, I think we need to expand our discipleship from not just those that are new to the faith, but those who God places in your lives those who friends and colleagues, those in your workforce, those that are teammates, those who we share the gospel with are those who we disciple. And so this morning we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 to see what it means to be a disciple. And as we turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, it's, we're going to hear the words of the Apostle Paul. And I think it's very tempting for us to look at Paul as some superhero church evangelist missionary And then when you look at our own lives, we say, well, what have we to learn from Paul? And yet it's good for us to realize as we think about it that Paul was gifted with the Spirit. Of course he was. But Paul reminds the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. My speech and my preaching, he says, were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, if you were to read a different translation, the message translation, it says as follows. It says, I, wasn't sure of, I was unsure of how to go about this. I felt totally inadequate. I was scared to death if you want the truth of it. And so nothing I could have said could have impressed you or anybody. So if you're the type of person when you do discipleship, when you do outreach, when you do evangelism, when you spread the kingdom of God to others, if you're the person that doesn't know what to say, if you're the person that wants to run away and go the, go the opposite direction, if your knees are trembling or if your mouth sticks and goes dry, then we're in good company to listen to what Paul has to tell us this morning. Paul's a great example of what it means to be bold in our witness for Jesus Christ. And so this morning we're going to concentrate on this as our theme, disciple, be one, make one. I'm going to see from my text this morning that to be one demands self-sacrifice and godly focus. And to make one involves motherly love and fatherly example. Paul begins the second chapter of his letter to the Thessalonians. He says, For you yourselves know, brethren. For you know, brethren, he says. And again, he repeats it in in verse 2. You know. Again in verse 5, you know. In fact, he says it six times in these verses. You know. 
Paul says, I'm not going to teach you something new. He says, I want you to put down your pens, as it were. And I want you to look at me. He says, I'm going to tell you a personal experience that you know, that you've seen from me while I was with you. And so what does Paul say to them? Well, Paul says, you remember, don't you? You remember how my coming to you was not in vain. You remember that even before we'd come to you, that we were treated spitefully in Philippi. You remember, don't you? You remember how I was treated roughly in Philippi? How I was beaten by the mobs and beaten by the authorities? How I was put in prison? You remember that, don't you? The story that I gave to you? You remember how I was treated in Thessalonica? How I was driven out of there? How I went to Berea? You remember that, don't you? You remember, he says, how I came to you. I was spitefully treated. It is as if it were Paul saying, you remember the bruises that I showed? You remember the scars that were on my back from the beatings? You recall how I came to you. Elsewhere, Paul says, as he does in, in one, uh, 2 Corinthians 11, you remember I was beaten. You recall the stories of what it was like when I was stoned. You recall the three times he says that I was shipwrecked. You remember that I was running from Jews and Gentiles and that I was cold and hungry and thirsty. You remember that, don't you? And then as Paul thinks about this, then Paul says, and what was the first thing I did when I got to you? Well, Paul says, the first thing I didn't do was to take a break. He didn't come bearing scars and says, you know what, I just need some time out from this ministry for a while. I'm hurting. I need to take a break and just to, to chill for a while and get my confidence and my strength back. No, that's not what happens at all. And Paul, Paul tells us in his verse, he says, you realize that after I had been treated spitefully in Philippi, I came to you and I preached boldly to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict, he says in verse 2. You see, the first thing that Paul does when he comes to the church in Thessalonica is to continue to preach the gospel that brought him so much strife in the past. Paul shows here that there is no thought for his own body, no thought for his own well-being. He gives his own body, as it were, as a self-sacrifice. And the question then is, what is it, Paul, that you are so willing to die for? Why were you so bold in your witness what was it? What was this message that you were so adamant about? Well, Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 3, he says, Everything I count as loss for the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ. Knowing Jesus Christ, he says, that's, that's worth everything to me, and everything will be counted as loss. So for Paul, knowing the gospel and sharing the gospel was uttermost priority in his life. And that was worth every self-sacrifice. That's exactly how Paul starts the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1. In fact, it's almost, you could argue, the theme of the book of Romans. Romans 1 verse 16, where Paul says these words, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is a power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. This message that I bring is, is so important that it brings salvation to Jews and to Greeks and to anyone who hears, says Paul. And that's exactly what Peter said when he was in front of the high priest in Acts chapter 4, shortly after this Holy Spirit had been poured out. Then he's hold, Peter, Peter's hold before the Sanhedrin, 
And they ask him, by what power, by what name are you doing these miracles? And Peter says in Acts chapter 4, verses 12, There is no salvation in any other name, for there is, sorry, for there is no, there is, sorry, let me start again, I'm not used to this translation. There is, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter recognized the truth that salvation comes through the giving of the word. And therefore, this word that he brought was powerful. And so we do well to realize that this message that we have to bring is worth the self-sacrifice, whatever that cost may be. Paul was no superhero himself. And yet Paul had a special calling to witness Christ. And so we can ask ourselves this morning, are we also called as Paul was for the same selfless acts that Paul demonstrated? Well, Paul again said in the letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says these words, and he says it elsewhere, imitate, imitate me as I seek to imitate Christ. So as Paul tells this Thessalonica church to imitate me, in essence, Paul's saying, but just imitate the greater one. Imitate the one that I imitate, which is Jesus Christ. And when we look at a passage such, such as 1 Peter chapter 2, we, we get these beautiful words there of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it is this Jesus Christ who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when Jesus Christ was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges rightly, who bore our sins on the, in his body on the tree. And why did Jesus do all that? Of course, he redeemed us through his, through his life and through his death. But Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 that Christ did this. He suffered as an example that we might also follow in his footsteps. So as we follow the example of Paul and this self-sacrificing attitude toward the gospel, we need to realize that the same attitude that Paul has was also evident in our Lord Jesus Christ. This attitude of self-sacrifice. As we seek to apply this in our own lives, we need to realize that it all, it's all, the gospel also comes with a cost to us as well. Jesus told that to the great multitudes in Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now, a great multitude went with him, with Jesus, and he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. You see, following Jesus Christ, being a disciple of Jesus Christ comes at a cost. A very personal cost. And the question is this morning, are we ready to, and willing to bear that cost? I love these words from Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot was the wife of Jim Elliot, who was a missionary in Ecuador in the 1950s. And after her husband was murdered there by the Ecuadorians' natives, she wrote a book, and this is what she wrote. She said, To be a follower of the crucified Christ be a disciple, sooner or later will involve a personal encounter with the cross. And the cross always entails loss. 
So the question this morning for all of us is, are we willing to suffer loss? As disciples of Jesus Christ here this morning, are we willing, are we prepared to follow Jesus at all cost? Are we willing to put ourselves second and put Him first? What thing is it in your life that might prevent you from following hard after Jesus Christ? And I think one of the things that we probably most value and which we need to think about is our use of time. I think too often when I consider my use of time, I'm very guarded about it. This is my time and, 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 and this is God's time. Or this is my time and this is evangelism time. Or I don't have time for outreach or I don't have time to do something. Is it possible like me that you value time too highly and maybe we need to be willing to suffer our time for the cause of the gospel? And so we need to think this morning, what does it mean to put God first in our life? And what are the sacrifices that are involved in that? But it's not only a self-sacrifice that's required to be a disciple, it's also a godly focus. We read that in verses 3 to 6 of our text together. For our exhortation, Paul says, do not come with error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. Later on, he says in verse 5, we did not at any time use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. We didn't see glory from you or from others. Paul's saying, my, my motive to you, my focus was purely godly. I didn't engage like the philosophers did in twisting words and using clever rhetoric, Paul says. I wasn't motivated by pride and greed and popularity as others may have been. I'm not here to, to give you a gospel to trick you somehow. It's not false advertising. There's no tricks, Paul says. My motives were entirely pure. And it's good that we think about that even for our own context. As we seek to witness God, what are our motives for this? We live in a society, and even in what we might call Christian world, where we tend to distort the gospel, where many tend to corrupt the gospel. They add things to the gospel. Come and, come and listen to the gospel, and it will bring you health and wealth and prosperity. Others will, will subtract from the gospel a little bit. Oh, the gospel doesn't mean that anymore. Or it doesn't quite say, it doesn't mean now what it used to mean then. That we somehow try to relativize the gospel. That we try to make it more palatable for ourselves. No, we need to realize, as Paul does, that we need to have a godly focus on God's word. That we give it and we explain it and we proclaim it exactly as God has it. We need to follow God's word. And we need to not follow the culture or the, the society around us. And then Paul says in verse 4, We have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, and so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Paul says, I was approved by God. I was the one that was commissioned by God to bring the gospel. My fundamental motivation in this is God. He's the one who called me. And therefore, whatever I do, I do according to His will, what God wants me to do. And that needs to be our motive. We go as commanded by God. Do so under His watchful eye and according to His will. And again, as we, think, as we consider what it is to follow Paul, we need to realize that Paul's going to simply point us to Jesus Christ. Christ was the only one who came down into this earth with absolutely pure motives. He was the one who did the will of God flawlessly. That's why He came down. 
He came down, he left heaven, the glories of heaven, and he died on a cross. And so he says in John chapter 6, he says, I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of God. It was our Savior, Jesus Christ, who refused all earthly honors, all prestige. He's the one who refused all the power and the glory that might come his way. He was not a man pleaser, nor did he give a gospel that was a popularity gospel, not a health and wealth gospel as we might often think. Instead, he gave us the pure and unadulterated word of God as we have it in his word. And as we seek to apply this in our own lives, we've got to realize this morning that to be a disciple of Christ, to be a, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to make sure that we follow him, that we listen to his words that we obey His teachings as we have it in front of us. We have to know Jesus Christ. And we have to follow Him and love Him and grow in our relationship with Him. And that's why God calls us, so we might give Him glory. So as we, as we seek to be a disciple, then we need to realize that it's going to take sacrifice on our part and also a commitment to remain focused on God and His Word only. And that brings us to our second point that we want to see. To make, a, sorry, to make a disciple involves motherly love and fatherly example. Paul continues his letter in chapter 2, verse 7 with these words, But we were gentle among you, just like a nursing mother cherishes her own children. We were gentle among you, he says, just like a nursing mother cherishes her own children. That's a profound imagery that Paul uses as he seeks to disciple others. The imagery of a mother with a child. It's that relationship between mother and child where it's, it's so much caring involved. So much energy, so much time involved in looking after newborns. The mother's up during the day and at all times during the night. She, she as it were, she imparts her own life to the life of her child. Whatever the mother takes in and drinks nourishes the baby. And the baby continues to grow through the mother. But think about this imagery that Paul uses for a minute as he describes the church in Thessalonica. He says, I was with you as a mother cherishes her own children, as a nursing mother. Babies are not great at showing appreciation, are they? Babies are not great encouragers for the most part, are they? Babies are often slow to learn and very needy. As children grow up, they're stubborn and they become obstinate. They're sometimes they're unmanageable. They have inconsistencies in development. They, they grow and then they, they may go down again. And yet this is the example that Paul gives to us as he seeks to nurture them. I was with you and you were like children, like babies to me. And it's good that we think about this example for a moment that Paul's bringing here. There's some good lessons that we can learn from here. Firstly, as we seek to make disciples, as we seek to spread the word of God to those around us, whoever they may be, perhaps even our own children, we need to do so with patience. See, so often we want to fit the people that we're discipling into a mold somehow. If you just know the, the, the confessions and the creeds, if you can follow these lists of things to do, if your life looks like this, then you've got everything together and you can come in to the church. 
But we need to remember that Paul doesn't see these people as projects that need to be completed. These are people that need to be loved. So we need to have an attitude of care, an attitude of nurture, an attitude of patience as we seek to walk alongside and, and disciple those whom God has placed in our life. And in built into Paul's message here, there's a warning too, isn't there? It's possible that a baby can become ill by something that the mother has eaten or drinking or drunk. And just that's so as we disciple people as well. We have to remember as we to seek to disciple others that we ourselves are nurturing ourselves and being nourished correctly by God's word. We need to make sure as disciples that we ourselves are busy in God's word. Getting our source of, of information and our source of transformation from God's word as we seek to pass it on to others. So we need to think as we disciple others, are we ourselves eating healthy? And then Paul continues in verse 8, So affectionately longing for you, he says, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become so dear to us. Paul says, not only did I give you the gospel of God, but I also gave you our own lives. You know, that's a difficult reality for someone like me as a seminary student to think about. It's easy for me as a seminary student to think that I do this training so that somehow I know the gospel of God and I'm able to share it with others. But the message that Paul says this morning says, are you willing to share your own lives for the cause of the gospel? Are you willing to share your own life for the cause of the gospel? Something we need to think about. As one theologian said, it's easier to teach theology than it is to love. It's easier to share lists with someone of what to do than it is to share time with people. Paul gave not only the message of the gospel to the Thessalonians, but he gave his life. He spent time with them. He shared their joys and he shared their heartaches with them. Paul recognized that love was not a job. Love is, is a way of life. And the beautiful thing that Paul brings out in this book of Thessalonians is, is not only did Paul show them how to do it, but they themselves became imitators of that. In the first chapter of his first epistle that we read, if you flick back one chapter to verses 6 and 7, Paul says to the Thessalonians, And you became followers of us. You became disciples of us and of the Lord, having received the word with much affliction, with joy in the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all of Macedonia and Achaia who believed. You see, Paul says, I came to you and I showed you love and compassion and I spent time with you. And that's exactly what you have done as you've discipled others so that other people around the world know that. You're recognized for that, Paul says. That's an amazing work that we need to think about for a moment. That same Holy Spirit that came upon Paul and transformed Paul it's the same Holy Spirit that went through to the church in Thessalonica that was transformed and became a believing congregation. And, and that congregation became an example as they seek to witness to those around them through the same Holy Spirit. And that's the same Holy Spirit that we have in, here, in us today. That's the same Holy Spirit that's poured out into the church and to each of you as you seek to go out into the community. 
Just as pagans and Gentiles became to know Christ, that's our wish, it's our want, isn't it? That we go out into the city of Owen Sound and the surrounding areas where we live, and that we make Jesus Christ known to others. And as we seek to follow the example of Paul, Paul is again just going to turn around and say, point to his Savior, Jesus Christ. It was Jesus Christ that came to be served, that came to serve, not to be served. It was our Savior, Jesus Christ, that not only taught theology, but lived it out amongst the people. It was our Savior, Jesus Christ, He's one that brought the message of the kingdom, but also lived it out. He healed people. He lived amongst broken people. He gave, He gave, He gave. He continued to give of His life. He shared his life with tax collectors and and Roman centurions, prostitutes and and mentally deranged, sick and healthy, beggars, rich and poor. He showed his love for all the people and he helped them. So there's a call here this morning to all of us as we seek to make disciples, whether that be our children, whether that be in our family, whether that be in a church context or new believers or whatever the case may be. As we make disciples, we have to show care, loving care, constant encouragement, continually feeding them. You see, discipleship is more than just enrolling your children to a program or sending them off to a, an evening course. Discipleship is more than just giving someone a brochure or sending them a YouTube link. Discipleship is about giving. And again, I ask, are you willing to give your time for the cause of the gospel that's what it's going to take as you disciple others. Are you willing to give your time? And then Paul concludes his, this section here by not only pointing to a love of a mother, but he also points to the fatherly example. We see that in verses 9 to 12. For you remember, he says, brethren, verse 9, our labor and toil. Our laboring day and night that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also. How devotely and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you. And you know, he says, how we exhorted you and comforted you and charged every one of you. As a father does his own children. Paul says, I acted like a father among you. My conduct, my example was blameless, he says. It was righteous, he says. I was the example that you need to follow. He led from the front, and he wanted the congregation to follow him and be an example. And in verse 11, Paul uses that metaphor of a father, doesn't he? And what he means by a father, he means as coming alongside. Come child, let's go for a walk. We need to have a chat. It's the coming alongside of somebody that Paul has in mind here. Where you want to aid someone or you want to correct your child. You want to direct them. You want to instruct them in the way that they should live. Paul says, I I was like a father among you, showing you what it is, is how to live a Christian life. And Paul recognized that this involves training, correction, walking walking alongside someone through, through difficult times and saying difficult words if it needs to be said. And that was the example that Paul says, I was a fatherly example among you. As we think of what that means for our own lives, then we need to realize that as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to live by example. 
We need to be willing to teach someone and train and encourage other people and example that as we go along. Effective discipleship is not a curriculum that needs to be followed. It's not a class on Thursday nights. It's not hours of just reading a book. Instead, it's one person. It's one person learning from another person what it is to follow Jesus Christ. That's what discipleship is. As J.D. Greer mentioned, he says, discipleship means teaching others to read the Bible just as you read the Bible. Discipleship is teaching others to pray as you would pray. Discipleship is, is telling other people about Jesus as you would tell them. So the question he says is, if you have Christian habits, and I'm sure we all do, if you have Christian habits worth following, then you too can be a disciple maker. It doesn't require years of training. You just teach others to follow Christ as you seek to follow Him. And what's the purpose in all this discipleship? Well, Paul closes with those words in verse 12. He says, I did all this so that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. Why did Paul seek to disciple others? Because he wanted God to get the glory. He wanted to encourage them to live a Christian life so that God our Father receives all the glory. He wanted his, these children to walk in their new identity as children of God. And the beautiful thing is Jesus Christ had the same prayer. In John chapter 15, he says, By this my Father is glorified, he says, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciple. Jesus says, If you're my disciple then you will bear fruit. And if you bear fruit, then God will get the glory. And so it's our prayer. It should be our prayer here this morning. We pray that the Holy Spirit will work powerfully through us, through the work that just as it did through Paul and the Thessalonians, that we too might be, that we might be examples of what it is to follow Jesus Christ. And so in conclusion, we can see that Paul gives us here of what it means to, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, but also what it means to make disciples. To be a disciple requires that we are to have a, an attitude of self-sacrifice and godly focus. To make disciples means that we are required to have motherly love and, and fatherly example. So to put it simply, we need to know and to grow in our love for Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple. We need to know our Lord Jesus Christ and grow in our relationship with Him. But to be a disciple also involves show and go. Show the love of Jesus Christ and show the gospel to others and live it out in the community wherever you are. Spurgeon said that every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian either every Christian is called to make disciples and to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You either try to spread the kingdom of God or you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus Christ and a totally silent tongue about Him. It's my prayer, I'm sure it's all our prayer this morning, that we will indeed not have silent tongues about our Savior, Jesus Christ. That our high appreciation of Jesus will involve in us in discipling others around us. So that God, our Savior, may receive all the power and all the glory. To Him be the glory forever. Amen.